You're listening to an audio sermon from Redemption Church in Olds, Alberta. It is our prayer that through this ministry, we will see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied all to the glory of God. For more information about our church, or to let us know how we can be praying for you, visit us online at www.redemptionolds.com or send us an email at info at Well, thank you. It is a great privilege for uh, Sue and I to be with you. And uh, I'm just going to take a couple minutes, not even a couple minutes, a couple moments to talk about GCC. So while I'm doing that, you can get your Bibles out and open them up to Acts chapter 11. That's where we'll be this morning. A message entitled, Compelled by Grace, uh, from Acts chapter 11. But uh, the GCC, our passion is for planting churches, caring for leaders. Um, And I I just love coming out west. I love coming out west. But both of my kids were born on Vancouver Island, so we've had an appreciation for the West. And but all of that, I, I, that that's not the reason I love to come here. I I I, I like coming here because we get to go out to Canmore or Banff and see the mountains. You got nothing like that in Ontario. I'll tell you that for sure. And uh, but then just the total change when you drive out of that, and then you coming up to Olds and you look and like there's the prairies right in front of you, and you know it's just very cool for us to see all that and. Be be blessed by that, but that's still not even the main reason. I love coming out here because of the passion of the churches in Alberta and our one church in British Columbia for planting churches. And, and seeing that happen is so amazing. Uh, Kyle Hunter's name was mentioned. Uh, he arrived in Edmonton like two days ago. His uh, furniture arrived yesterday, and uh, he's getting started on a church plant. And we're trusting that there's a group of maybe up to 30 people there um, that God will use to plant a church in Edmonton. And then where next? Saskatoon, uh, maybe uh, maybe Vernon in British Columbia. The, 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 the sites are already on those things looking forward. Not my sights from some guy in the east, but the church is here with a passion to church planting. It's so cool that we can be a part of serving in all of that, and uh, we just rejoice. It's great for me to be here today. It's great always to be with uh, John and Bethany and and enjoy fellowship with them and uh, to meet their family today. Um, But it's also good for me to connect back with Josh again. Josh uh, served in the church I was pastoring in Markham, Ontario one summer. He must have been like 10 years. 10 years old because it seems it was a long time ago but uh, yeah he's 14 now that's right but just the privilege to see how God is growing him and using him in the ministry here as well is uh, such a blessing so we're all about planting churches we're all about strengthening leaders at the end of the day it's to see the kingdom of God expanded to see the glory of God demonstrated in a very very needy world in a very needy time. So, I want to dive into a message that I've entitled, Compelled by Grace. Compelled by Grace. But let's start by just kind of painting a little bit of a picture. When when people um, think of our nation, when people think of Canada, when people think of Canadians in general, what do they think about? Well, they think of us as being the nicer, gentler Americans, Right? The, the Americans are a little more obnoxious than we are. We tend to be more passive. We tend to be, but we're the nicer, gentler form of Americans. When we travel, I always make sure I got a Canadian flag stuck on my hat. It's amazing where that will get you when they realize you're not an American. Um, and so that's what we are as Canadians. We're just a little bit nicer, a little bit more gentle. Uh, we're, the claim is that we say the word A a lot. We don't actually, but it's what they say you say all the time. And you go, oh, you guys say A all the time. Um, 
I don't know. We're hockey freaks. That's what Canadians are known for. Uh, so much so that in COVID, the hockey stick is an actual measurement of distance, right? Stay one hockey stick apart from each other. If you said that south of the Mason-Dixie line, they wouldn't even know what a hockey stick was. But, but in Canada, like that's kind of what we're known for. Um, and everything we're known for isn't good more of late. There's been things in the news about the residential schools and atrocities that happened in those. And, but when people think of Canadians, those are some of the things they might think of. When people think of, of you, what do they think of? Do they think of you as being a fun, carefree, loving? Do they think of you as being a person with integrity? Or is it your, it's like when they think of you, it's like stay away from that guy. Um, his word's not his word. Like is there a shadow around you? When people think of you, they think of you as being a little bit shady. Or like what do people think about when they think about you? Um, Go one step further, what do people think about when they think about your church? When they think about redemption olds, what do they think about? Do they think about, well, they're the people who meet in that other church's building. Nothing wrong with that. Um, it's used during these times to open God's word and preach God's word. What an amazing thing that that is. But do they see you as a church that's caring um, and loving? Um, do they see you as a church that's just the thing at the corner and nobody really knows who you are? Uh, maybe, maybe when they think of your church in the context of your town, uh, those are those Bible thumpers. Those are the people who actually believe that this is God's word and they actually believe what it says. Do people think that about your church? I hope they do. And I hope if you ever hear that, um, you're like, yes, that's who we are. That's not what to apologize for. That's what to rejoice in, what God is doing uh, through your church in something like that. Well, today, we want to take a look at a, a church and what they were known for. And it's found in Acts chapter 11. It's found in verse 23. And here's where it says, And when he came and saw the grace of God. It was a church that was known for the grace of God. That uh, verse is found in the middle of the passage we'll look at. So let me start to read it, verse 19, and then we'll uh, fly right through that. Here we go. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came, he saw the grace of God, and he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word that we have read as we look into it this morning. I pray that, God, you would um, open our ears to listen carefully to what 
you have to say you would open our minds to comprehend the truth. But then, Lord, would you open our hearts to live these things out that we might be people like this. Now, they weren't perfect people. They were being sanctified. They were growing up. But, Lord, what is said about them is so amazing. Would these things be said about us as we grow in our faith and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the big idea of this message would be this. Grace alive in us results in impact. When grace is alive in your life, it results in impact. So before we unpack verse 23, and that's where we'll spend most of the message, let's just understand a little bit of the context of how we get to this. In verse 19, it says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen. The only thing I really want to draw out of that is for us to understand it was a difficult time for them. It wasn't easy for them. Being followers of Jesus Christ cost them significantly. And this is coming out of the time after the stoning of Stephen. And they were scattered because of that persecution. And yet we're going to see a group of people who who were faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ, even though they knew their faith was going to cost them something. Now, we live in North America. We don't understand what persecution is. I was talking to a pastor early in the pandemic, and he was just really wrestling with things. And he said, you know what? Shame on me to think that I'm suffering. He said, like, I send my order in on Amazon and the stuff arrives on my porch the next day. And that's my idea of suffering. I couldn't go to stores or whatever we couldn't do. And, and it was just a little bit of this sense of, man, we don't even understand. We've, we've been so blessed. And it has been a huge blessing in North America. But these people didn't have that. They were, they were being persecuted because of their faith. And what had happened to Stephen just a few chapters earlier, they were now living that out. Um, and then take a look at the uh, next part. It says, um, rose over the, st- the stoning of Stephen. They traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. We're going to put a map up on the screen. At least I hope we're going to. There we go. Just so you have some idea of what's going on here. And so down at the bottom, towards the bottom, you have Jerusalem. Up at the top, you have Antioch. Um, and those places are both mentioned in the text. Um, But in between, you have that area, that region that's called Phoenicia, and then the island that's called Cyprus out in the Mediterranean. And so what happens here is there's people who get saved. The word gets to Jerusalem that there's a group of believers up in Antioch, and it's like, Barnabas, we want you to go up there and find out what's going on. it says in verse 20, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists about preaching, oh, excuse me, also preaching the Lord Jesus. The Hellenists were Greek Jews. The gospel is beginning to expand. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Now, just one quick thing I want to draw out of that. Nobody knows who these guys were. They're nameless people. They're nameless people who are turning their world upside down. When I read that and I was studying that, the thing that was turned on my soul is, Paul, does your name need to be on something? Do you need to have recognition for what's going on? Or can you be like these guys who in the pages of Scripture remain nameless but were just faithful? 
Um, it's not really the main point of my message. It was a piece that God just kind of drilled into my heart. Does your name have to be on it? Do you have to be the focus? Does, no. And, and they were just humble people. And as you serve in the church, wherever it is, do, does it need, people need to know what I'm doing. People need to know what I'm doing. Or, or can you be like these guys who just were faithful and says, and the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So that's going on up in Antioch. That word gets down to Jerusalem. And in this verse 22, it says, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Okay, so um, they're in Jerusalem. Barnabas is in Jerusalem. And the word of something cool going on is happening in Antioch. And it's like, Barnabas, we want you to go up there and give, get a report. Like what's going on? up there. Okay. The distance from Jerusalem to Antioch is about the same distance as from Olds to Saskatoon. Now, I could get in the car today at noon and be there by dinner, but Barnabas didn't have that privilege. Now, he got on his camel, on his donkey, or he walked over 500 kilometers to get there to find out what the Lord was doing in that church. And, and the scriptures don't say what his attitude was. Um, I just, I'm just thinking when they were in the meeting, if that was me, and it's like, hey, Paul, Paul, I want you just to whip up to Antioch and tell us what's going on. Yeah, I would have gone, but the whole 500 kilometers, it wouldn't have, couldn't you have got somebody else to do this job? Like, why am I the guy who got the short stick? Maybe that was his attitude, maybe not. Maybe his attitude was, Lord, whatever you have for me, that's what I'll do. And he just got up and away he went. All I know is when he got there, that's when we come to verse 23. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. When he saw what God had done, he was glad. So let me pick a few thoughts out of that text. The first thing about grace I want to see is that grace compels me to see what God is doing. Grace compels me to see what God is doing. When he came and saw the grace of God. And so what is this grace? What was it about these people? Um, well, we know that grace is God's unmerited favor. Uh, grace is God's pouring onto us what we don't deserve. We just celebrated that in communion as we remembered the death of the Lord Jesus Christ with his body and with his blood and how salvation is ours through faith alone in Christ alone. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's a gift that we receive. We're dead in our trespasses and sins and God makes us alive in Jesus Christ. Like how awesome is that what God has done. When he comes and he meets this group of people, we don't know if it's 100 people or 50 people, but he comes and he sees them. What did he see? He saw the grace of God that was working in their life. When people see you, when people see me, do they see the grace of God, the transforming grace of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life? For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's a gift of God. It's not of works so that no one can boast. God loved the world so much that he gave his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Grace is God's riches is the way I remember it. Grace is God's riches poured out on us at Christ's expense. That's the beautiful picture of communion, the expense 
what God did for us. And so he comes to this little church and he sees these people who are now saved, these people who've put their trust in Christ, these people who've turned from what they believed in before and in repentance are now following after Jesus Christ. He comes and he sees it. And what did it do? It made him glad. He saw the grace of God. He saw the grace of God that saved them. He saw the grace of God that also keeps us. Um, Grace is a work of salvation. It's a work that's done the moment you trust Christ, but grace has an ongoing reality. Here's, here's something I was thinking about. I was preaching this text in the church where I'm an elder, and um, I said, uh, do this. Now, you have to understand we're in Ontario where mask mandates are like crazy, but um, it's like take a look around, take a look around, and look at everybody in the room. So I want you to do that too. I, I want you to Take a look around. Now, they can only see people like from here up, right? But take a look around and look at everybody in the room. Go ahead, do that right now. Don't be afraid to do it. Don't be afraid. Don't stare at people or anything, but just look at them and, okay? Okay, okay, now look back up here. There's only one reason, unless it's your cousin you just looked at, there's only one reason that we're in this room together. It's the grace of God. It's the only reason. Like, if you, like, I don't know you, so I can say just about anything and get away with it. Some of you are crazy people, right? And you know that as you look around and see each other. But there's one reason, if you've trusted Jesus Christ, that you're in this room together. It's because of the grace of God. There's no other reason. What else would compel you? People get together because of hockey or because of something they like to do. You know, you get the, the knitters and the quilters, and, like, they get together because of that thing. We get together as the church because of the grace of God. And that's why they were together. And when Paul comes and he sees that grace, he's just, he's glad. Um, grace that saves, grace that keeps us. That's a sustaining grace. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Grace is the glue that brings it all together. And grace is the glue that brings us together and is our hope in Jesus Christ. Why else would we be here listening to a message if it were not for the grace of God? David Jeremiah said this. I think the quote's gonna go up on the screen. Two parts to it. David Jeremiah said this. And therein lies an important theological and practical truth. Regardless of what we think we need in terms of help, we really only need one thing, the grace of God. Regardless of all the things you think you need in the midst of all the things that are going on in your life right now, all the things that you're striving for, all the things you're working hard after, what you really need is God's grace. God's grace, the quote goes on to say, when God pours out his grace, we receive what he knows we need provision, endurance, wisdom, patience, strength, resistance, courage, and more. Well, Barnabas gets there and he sees them and it made him glad. When you look at your brothers and sisters in Christ with all of their imperfection and all of their struggles and all of their do you look at them through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ and does it make you glad? 
Coming to church on Sunday should make us glad. Coming to a small group during the week and studying together and being accountable to one another should make us glad. It doesn't always make it. It's not easy. Sometimes it's going to be difficult, but because of what it is that brings us together, it should give us a great joy. It should make us glad. So that's the first thing. Here's another thing. Grace compels me to respond. That's the glad part. When, when, when he saw them, he was glad. It triggered in something, him something that satisfied him, that filled him with hope. When you see grace in people, does it make you glad? And you're like, well, sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. If you only know the people that I know and what they did to me or how hurt I was. Or... So what were the qualifications that allowed Barnabas to be glad when he saw these people. I think there are some that are right in the text. If you uh, look down at, the, uh, at, the next, at these verses, it says, when he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad. He exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord. He was steadfast purpose. We're coming back to that in a minute. And it says, for he was a good man. He was a good man. And then there's a description of what he was like. And so if you look at the body of Christ and it doesn't make you glad, then check to see if these things are the resources that you have in your life. They were his qualifications. Here's the first thing it says. It says he was a good man. He was a good man. He wasn't a good man like God is good. God is good in perfection. But this was what he was aimed at. This was the way he was going um, he was a man of character. He was a man of integrity. He was a man who was righteous. He was a man with a desire toward holiness. And, and so when people saw him, just as I started this message, how would people describe you? When they look at him, how they described him is he was a good man. He was a good man. Strive after that. Not to save you. Your goodness will never save you because it will always fall short of the glory of God. But as a follower of Jesus Christ with a desire to be more like Christ every day, that's how people should, they should describe us as people who have integrity and who have character and their word is their word, their yes is their yes, their no is their no, but, but they're people who are loving and caring, who reach out to us. When Barnabas showed up, the people go, he was, that guy's a good guy. He's a good man. People describe you like that? Do people describe me like that? Here's the next thing. Not only was a good man, says he was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Um, how do you get full of the Holy Spirit? Well, that's a whole series of messages. But the reality is when a person trusts Jesus Christ as their Savior, they're baptized by the Spirit, they're indwelt by the Spirit, they're sealed by the Spirit, all those works are done and complete. When you trust Christ, you're also filled with the Spirit, but the filling of the Spirit is an ongoing process. Keep on being filled is what the Bible says. So when you're not filled with the Spirit, it doesn't mean you're not saved. It's, it's where's the control happening? What's going on? It's, as you uh, work through the, uh, the issues of your life these days, it's so easy for me. I'm a bit of a news junkie. I love watching the news, and I can get caught up in all of the anxiety of all of that, and, and then it's like, Paul, you're spending three hours a day focused on the news and a half an hour in the Word. No wonder you're struggling. 
No wonder you've lost your focus. And so if you're one of those people like me, you need to turn that stinking stuff off and open your Bible. We need to know what's going on in the world. We need to be aware of what's going on in the world. But if you're being more influenced by Fox News or CNN or CNBC or CBC or Global, I don't care who it is, than you are by the word of God, you're like, it's out of whack for you. You're not being filled by the Spirit. You're being filled by all kinds of other things. And for this man, he's described as a person who is full of the Holy Spirit. Um, I believe it's okay to ask God to fill us with his Spirit when we come to meet like this. Uh, um, your pastor kind of did that when we were downstairs praying this morning. Um, I don't believe that's wrong. I believe there's actually some scriptural evidence for that. But truly, the filling of the Holy Spirit comes out of obedience, comes out of faithfulness, comes out of being a person of prayer, comes out of being a person of the Word of God. And when you're doing those things, filling of the Spirit is just the end result. You're getting rid of all the other stuff, and you're being filled with God's stuff. And so that's what was claimed was Barnabas, what he was like. That's why he could go into a situation where the people were suffering and it was difficult and he could go, this is amazing. This is awesome what God is doing. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit and he was full of faith. Just enough faith to believe God could actually do this with these people. Just enough faith to believe that God could actually um, transform these people who are outside of Christ as to followers of Jesus Christ. Here, here's a story you guys know. Chris Gervin. Chris Gervin. I was part of the process with a Meldon from um, Kelowna and uh, a Pastor Trevor from Calgary North and kind of vetting, would Chris be a good guy for a church plant and all the rest? And we had been out here a year or so ago and did a tour. We did Red Deer, Edmonton, Saskatoon. And I came back from that trip, and we were all like, probably not Red Deer, and probably not Edmonton first, probably Saskatoon first. Okay, so we got it like 100% wrong, right? Like Red Deer's already up and going, and uh, we just brought the guy out to start the church, and I get chills just thinking about it. And, right, the day that, that, the day, within a few days of Chris Gervin starting his job as a church planter for Red Deer. All the stuff with COVID hit. He's living out in Cochrane, can't make the trips. You know, all that stuff was going on. And, and God did an awesome work. Chris Gervin had the faith to believe, regardless of what the circumstances were in front of me, I just believe God can do this. I believe God can do this. Sue and I are going up to have dinner with uh, uh, him and Rebecca tonight and spend some time with them. Just so thankful that we have people of faith who just, they're just crazy enough to believe God could do this, right? Um, you see, the reason that Barnabas could look and be glad at the grace of God because he was a good man, he was a man filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was a man of faith. Are those the words that would describe you and your walk today? If they aren't, then, then, then that's the part of this message that's for you. That's the part for you to take home. Maybe, maybe for you, what you need to come and hear today was, i got to turn my television off and spend more time in the Word of God. I need to spend more time focusing on what God wants for me to do than what the world is saying to us. Um, well, not only was he um, compelled to respond 
But then he was compelled to act. Look at verse 23. So he sees this grace in them and he is glad. And then it says, he exhorted them all to what? To remain faithful to the Lord. He resorted them, uh, exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord. In difficult times, what do you do? You lean in. You don't lean out. So often when we get into difficulty, we start leaning away. We don't ask people to pray for us. We don't ask for help. Um, uh, Pastor John talked about how I could be an ear for him. Believe me, I got guys who have to be an ear for me. Sometimes I want to go over the cliff, right? We all have those times. And, and he has those times. And others have those times. And we need uh, people around us who can support us. But that's lean in time when it's difficult. You get people praying for you. One of my great frustrations, I can be guilty of this too, when I'm in a difficult time or there's something happening, it's like, well, no, no I don't want to talk to anybody because I, I don't really want them to know. Instead of like getting people praying for you, um, he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord. Remember, there's persecution going on in light of the stoning of Stephen. And, and it's hard for them. And he says, when it's hard, when it's hard, remain faithful. Remain faithful. Hey, church and olds, when it's hard, remain faithful. I don't know all the stuff that goes on in your church. John doesn't tell me a lot. When we talk, it's more about how he's doing, how we're doing, right? There may be some things that come out of that, but it's more about that. But I know right now you're like, maybe this, Lord? Would you have this for us? Um, but if the answer is no, remain faithful. Why? Because God has something better for you. You just don't know what it is yet. You're like, you know, but this would be so cool. Yeah, it would be, and it would be great if it didn't. God's done that kind of work before, but remain faithful. Hey, mom and dad, if you've got one of your kids that's going a little sideways, remain faithful. Faithful to pray. Faithful to exhort, faithful to encourage, not manipulating them. They, their faith needs to be their faith, but not giving up. I'm not packing it in. I'm, I'm never going to give up on my kids. When it's hard, you remain faithful. Um, and so he exhorts them in the middle of their struggle to remain faithful. What's your struggle today that's your, I need to remain faithful in that and trust God for that? Why? Because God has a plan in all of this. We may not understand it. We may never fully understand it, this side of glory. But one day we will remain faithful. Let me just pour a few verses over you about this as we persevere. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Galatians 6, 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 1 Chronicles 16, 11 says, Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Hebrews 10, 36, For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Hang in there. Be faithful. Trust the Lord. Hey, a good way to do that is to, to stop and look back and see how God has worked and been faithful in your life in the past. 
So often we, we get all fuzzy about what's coming because we can't see it and we don't know it and we forget about God's goodness and all of these things he's done, all of these things he's orchestrated and completed in your life and, and because you're not remembering those things, you're out here going, oh, and you forgot God took care of you in all those things. We, need, we have a need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Meldon Lutzer, who's the pastor in Kelowna, sent me a text um, a couple of weeks ago. And uh, so not only did they have, you know, the COVID stuff going on, but uh, on West Kelowna, there was a fire coming over the ridge, right? And his daughter was getting married the next weekend. Kind of the perfect storm to lose your mind, right? And, uh, and he was struggling. He was just struggling. And uh, he sent me a text. I, I tell you all this because um, that night he put up on Facebook a reminder to the church to remain faithful. And he talked about the struggle that he had. So I'm not telling you stuff. I'm not like, he told me a secret, I tell you a secret. Like, John tells me stuff and then I go tell all the other churches. Not like that at all. He put it up on Facebook so you can go and watch it and see it. And just how, how God was refining him and growing him and working in his life. And he's like, I'm not giving up. I'm not giving up. Now, when I was texting with him, there was a little bit of his, like his brain was about to explode. It seemed like it was too much. And then, and then he got his focus back on the word and got his focus back on things that were right and what God was doing and how God was working. And we need to have endurance. Grace compels us. Grace compels us to act. He exhorted them to remain faithful. Here's the last one. Grace compels me to focus. Grace compels me to focus. Verse 23 says, with steadfast purpose. With steadfast purpose. When he came and he saw the grace of God, he was glad and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with a steadfast purpose. Uh, Sue and I have uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, the reference, inscribed on the inside of our wedding bands. That's our, our marriage life verse. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your neighbor, your, your neighbor, your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not in vain. So keep a steadfast purpose. I was uh, looking at your um, website yesterday, and, and one of the sayings that's in it, a lot of our churches use this, lost people saved, saved people matured, matured people multiplied, all for the glory of God. Yeah, get that focus and stick with that, right? Keeping the main things, the main things. He said to stick with a steadfast purpose. Have a, a laser focus. So these people who are filled with grace are now being challenged to, like, what do we need to focus on? What do we need to focus on? If I was to put it down to one thing, get your focus on the glory of God. Get your focus on the glory of God. See the glory of God in your own salvation, in your own story. See the glory of God in the story of your family. See the glory of God in the story of your church. See the glory of God in the way he's working in church planting across Alberta, British Columbia, and we trust right across our entire nation. See the glory of God. See the glory of God in his creation. See the glory of God in your salvation. Get focused Onto the glory of God. God, please, please, God, help me to remain focused. 
Growing in the word, growing in prayer, growing in faith, growing in evangelism, growing in meeting needs, but, but focused on the glory of God. God, help me more and more every day, just a little bit more every day to get focused on the glory of God. Now, you got two Easterners out here, Sue and I, and, and we went out to Canmore on Wednesday. Yeah, and got a little bit of a fix of the mountains to the point where we went back out yesterday, right? And it's like, you're like, are you kidding me? Yeah, we did. And, and we're in the mountains and we're seeing God's creation and are overwhelmed by it. And they're just so thankful for it. And it's a reminder of the glory of God, how awesome he is, how powerful he is. And, and so as Barnabas comes to these people, he tells them, like, stick with your steadfast purpose. Don't lose sight. It's going to be hard. Things are going to get in the way. Satan's going to try and distract you. Keep your focus on the main things. Keep the main thing the main thing. And watch what God does in you and in your church. Look at verses 25 and 26. It says, so Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. That's Paul. Um, some guys in the Bible had a big thing where your name got changed from this to this, right? That's not really true for Saul to Paul. Saul was the Hebrew name. Paul was the Greek name. They meant something different, but there wasn't this great big thing that happened. But at this point in the book of Acts, he's still called Saul, which is interesting because remember, we got the stoning of Stephen and, and Saul was the one who said, yeah, it's okay, go ahead and do that. He was part of the murder of Stephen. And now he's a guy who's about to come to the church. So I can't imagine what that church meeting probably was like when they thought about who was coming to visit with them. But um, So in verses 25 and 26 then, And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. So they met with the church. They developed disciples for a whole year. And in this is the place where people are first called Christ ones or Christians. It only happens three times in Scripture. In Acts 26, um, it says in verse 28, And Agrippa said to Paul, In a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And so now we've got Paul out there, and his life is coming to an end probably not that long after that. And, and he's talking to Agrippa, and Agrippa's going, Are you trying to convince me to become a Christian? Um, in 1 Peter 4, 16, it says, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Whether the word Christian was, had a negative, like a derogatory thing, oh, you're one of those Christians, or, or whether it was just a way that they needed to now describe this new group of people who were forming, coming out, smarter people than me don't agree on it, so I'm not going to get caught up in the conversation. Here's what I know. There was something about them that distinguished them, and they were called Christians. So if somebody comes at you, and, well, you are a Christian? Are you one of those Bible people? Are you, are you a born-againer? You're like, are you? yeah. Yes, I am. Well, those, are, those are Bible terms that would be describing you. And so don't ever, you might just, I'm just crazy enough to take that as a compliment. Like, you're one of those born-againers. You're a Christian. You're a Christ follower. You're a Bible thumper. Yes. Now, if you're obnoxious in how you do it, then shame on you. 
right? But if you're a faithful follower of Jesus Christ and people see the reason of the hope that is in you and they wonder and they ask, that's a wonderful thing. And these people are first called Christ ones in this church in Antioch. Well, what was it about them? Grace. Grace. The grace that saved them. The grace that kept them. The grace that allowed them to grow and develop and be taught and be discipled. And, and they were called Christians. It's not a badge of honor, but it is a testimony of faithfulness. And maybe that's what you would be called. Maybe you are being called that. That's a great thing if you are. Um, well, you come to the end of this message, and I like to finish my messages because it helps me with just the word, so what? So what? Uh, thanks for coming. Uh, you shared some verses with us, and yeah, we understand about the grace of God, and, but so what? What difference will there be in your life when you walk out the door at the end of this service than there was when you came in the door today? In verse uh, 24, it says, and a great many people were added to the Lord. People who are filled with grace. People who are known by grace. People who are people who are good people. Striving after, not, not man's goodness, but God's goodness in us. Filled with the Spirit. Led by the Word. What's the end result? Now, people will be added to the Lord. The church will grow. Your influence will be out there. Will it be easy? No. Guaranteed. It's never promised it'll be easy for us. As a matter of fact, it's promised it will be difficult for us. But what is also promised is that God will go with us and he will guide us and he will direct us. And so whether that's a, a direct attack on your faith by a neighbor or, or whether that's a relationship in your family, uh, an extended relationship or with one of your kids, just remain faithful, remain faithful, remain faithful and see the grace of God and be, and be glad, be glad. Why? For the glory of God. Not for my fame, not for your fame, not for this church's fame, but for the glory of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords that people would see the grace of God in us, and they too would be glad. Would those be the marks? Would those be the things that God would do in us as he uses us for his glory as we serve him? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your amazing grace, your amazing grace that saves us, your amazing grace that keeps us. Lord, we needed that reminder. I need that reminder because I can get so caught up with looking at the difficulties around me and the struggles that we are and, and I can forget about your goodness and your faithfulness and would I be reminded of your grace not only in my life but in my family and in the churches we serve as we watch you work, God. Not to us, not to us as the psalmist said, but to your name be the glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.